You're listening to What's Contemporary Now, a show about culture, the people, places, and things that together make it up. The first time I stumbled upon Gabby Bernstein was on an episode of Oprah's Super Soul Sunday years ago. She was introduced as a new generation thought leader and has continued making an impact with her multiple New York Times bestselling books. Years after that first encounter with the funny way life works sometimes, I actually ended up spending July 4th at her house after being invited through a mutual friend. Within minutes of arriving, we ended up talking about podcasts of all things, and the day has finally come for us to have her on the show. Naturally, we go into the idea of manifesting and what it means to the woman who has made an incredible career writing and speaking about it to the masses. This is Gabby Bernstein, and we're talking about what's contemporary now. I have so many different things I want to get your perspective on. And something I figured would be a good way to jump off is what is your opinion of what's contemporary today? Oh, what a nice question. My opinion about what's contemporary today, and this is also just coming from my lens of the world. You know, it's funny. We know each other, but we have very different worlds that we live in, Mm -hmm. in terms of our career paths and just the mingling that we do in the world. So from my perspective in the world that I live in, I think that what's contemporary now are people really seeking more stability and a trend around overall well-being and a sense of wanting to know more rather than just sort of living in a bubble. Absolutely. I did want to backtrack a little bit because I think something that's been very foundational for me since I had first discovered you watching that Super Soul Sunday and that incredible red blazer with Oprah was when you were speaking to your book, The Universe Has Your Back. And it reminds me of one of my favorite quotes, which is Einstein, when he said, the most important decision we make is whether we believe we live in a friendly or hostile universe. So I wanted to pick your brain on why you think that perspective or belief that we hold is such an important factor in how we experience happiness or general well-being. Well, that quote kind of sums up my core belief system, which is if we can heal the way we perceive the world in our own inner perception, and we can heal our own inner dialogue, then we actually have the capacity to have a ripple effect throughout the world. But it has to be a collective shift. What happens is that the problems in the world all arise as a result of human beings choosing wrongly, frankly, human Uh beings choosing to see through the lens of separation and attack and judgment. And all of that is just truly based on the wounds from our childhood. And we all act from those wounds. And the more wounded we were and the less work we've done on ourselves, the more trouble we can create. And so the undoing of that, in my opinion, is really waking up as many people as possible to their potential of kindness, compassion, connection, love, and all of the above. Because if we don't make those subtle shifts individually, we can't have a global effect. Of course. And something else that's incredibly challenging is whether or not there is that much of an objective reality. Going back to your point of healing past traumas and the way they influence the perception you have in the world, you can be in a conversation with another person and not necessarily have the same takeaway. So when talking about shifting our patterns or perspectives and whatnot, how do you address those moments where you come up against someone else who has different perspectives and perhaps has a different takeaway from the same conversation? It depends on the perspective. You know, there's definitely people that I've been in dialogue with that don't share the same political views or the same core beliefs. But at the end of the day, I really don't mingle much with folks who don't believe in the power of the genuine truth of who we are, which is 
a human being here to be kind, here to be caring, here to be love. And when I say that, I mean that a lot of folks out there in my world are doing the best that they can to get by. And I recognize that. And so when I witness that suffering in others and their desire to feel better, I actually can have a lot more compassion for their beliefs that may be very different than mine. Of course. But I don't have any tolerance for severe separation, attack, judgment. I can still have compassion for that person, but I'm not going to stick around for it. That's like a very different experience of coming up against a different perspective in terms of looking at your book, Happy Days, and again, addressing trauma. Something I experienced, and I think I told you a little bit about it when we saw each other last, was during my trip to Peru in August while I embraced cliches and took a deep dive. I came out of that whole journey realizing that sometimes when I'm frustrated by what seems like an inability to understand something, or again, someone who was a part of the exact same conversation having a very different takeaway, it made me realize that the experiences that shaped us throughout our lifetime very much inform that filter that we're experiencing things through, which is why I was saying, is there an objective reality? So in those more subtle examples where there's a disparity between your own filters and another person, how do you advise the rest of us to approach that or navigate those things? Well, it's exactly what you said. It's recognizing that the other person has a filter through which they see the world that is completely based upon their experiences from their life, Mm -hmm. particularly their early days. And so just starting there, just starting from a place of recognizing, oh, that person's being a total asshole because that's an unresolved wound that is being projected onto me right now. That alone, our ability to be curious and compassionate towards humans for their behavior allows us to let people off the hook. And that doesn't mean that we are allowing the behavior in our life or that we're not creating boundaries. But what it does mean is that we're not holding on to a resentment. We're not carrying around their baggage with us. And so there are a lot of wounded people out in the world, particularly right now, it's all up, it's up, it's up. And so if we can start to see those wounded people through that lens of curiosity and compassion, I think that we can have an easier time navigating relationships in our life. Absolutely. And when you speak to things like manifesting, obviously it's a word that's gained a great deal of traction over the past several years, but regardless of whether or not it's the guilty pleasure of some and the very public favorite subject of others, there are those people who sometimes struggle with the idea that simply by visualizing something or embodying the emotion tethered to that particular experience suddenly is able to then bring it into your real life analog world. And then some of the other things that you've touched upon in those conversations are obviously much broader, which actually relate to the way you frame something, your relationship to that idea, the way it changes your internal dialogue and how that affects the way you show up in the world and ultimately gives you different results. So rather than filling your mouth with words, I wanted to sort of get your distillation of how you would describe the idea of manifesting today. Well, manifesting is a very trendy topic these days, and that's cool. It can be kind of like a gateway into a deeper spiritual practice for some. But the truth behind manifesting is that we manifest what we believe. So it's not about how many times you can say what you are, look at a vision board or all that kind of bullshit. It's so much more about clearing the beliefs that hold us back from assuming the energy of what it is that we desire. So for instance, maybe you want to change careers And you feel underneath that desire, a lot of fear, a lot of insecurity, a lot of inadequacy. 
Well, the way to manifest that is not to think about it or talk about it, but instead to start to feel it. And maybe you start feeling it through practicing the work of that new career pro bono, or Mm -hmm. you start to learn more about it and study online. Whatever it is that puts you into an energy of feeling the feeling of what it is that you desire. And the feelings start to develop and give us a strength of proof. We also garner these beliefs in our life by repeating thoughts over and over again. So when we start to reprogram the way we're thinking about something, our belief systems change. And so as we start to shift our belief system, that's when we start to manifest more of what we want rather than what it is that we don't want. But if you're out there thinking like, you know, I'm just, you know, doing this affirmation or I'm just making a vision board, but underneath it, you don't believe that you're worthy of it, it ain't going to work. Hence the cognitive sort of aspect of reframing something, right? And how you step out differently as a result of kind of reprogramming those relationships or even ideas of yourself. Mm -hmm. Something else that is quite common and not just in the realm of this conversation, but even something like sustainability for the individual or perhaps a brand and the way they practice those ideas is analysis paralysis or inaction that's caused by this idea that one must do it perfectly if you're going to do it at all. And One of my favorite things, having witnessed your journey over the years, is your transparency with your own experiences and moments where you've fallen and what that process has been to get back up. And I think a lot of times when you're looking at the world of marketing or this very sort of saturated digital media realm, one might be afraid to be that honest because, I don't know, maybe someone will think that perhaps what you've claimed in the past isn't necessarily going to work for them because you too have suffered a human experience. Can you talk a little bit about why you've seen value in sharing such personal aspects of your journey throughout the years that you've been a public speaker? I think at the end of the day, what people want most is connection. Of course. And the fastest way to create connection is through authentic truth. And authentic truth is one's ability to be vulnerable and not in a way that's going to be just mindlessly emoting onto people, but vulnerable in a way where you have the courage to speak truth. Because what people recognize in us most is that truth. And so I found throughout my life, not just my career, but my life, that my ability to speak truth has allowed me to have profound connection with not only the close people in my life, but millions and millions of people that I don't even know. And, you know, I'll be in a bathroom somewhere and I'll be talking to a friend and someone will come out of the stall and be like, I heard your voice. And my whole body (laughs) started to tinkle, you know, because they feel connected to me even though we've never met. And that connection isn't because they resonate with the way I look or the way, you know, they resonate with the truth. Uh And the truth is what heals. What was that catalyst for you, going back to the beginning in terms of your move into this space and the decision that you wanted to pursue this as the path? For me, I was living in a very different way in my early 20s. Uh I was working as a nightlife publicist. I had a PR company from 20 to 25. And at that time, I was definitely not practicing what I preach today. And I also believe that that was my soul's choice. My soul's journey was to run from a traumatic event from my childhood, just run and find any way I could run, run, run. And through drugs and alcohol, I was able to run for a short period of my life. And that running was rough. And I hit bottom when I was 25 with cocaine. And upon hitting bottom, I got myself clean and sober. And at that stage, I had to get honest. You know, being a sober woman now 17, almost 18 years is a life of honesty. And in the times of my life where I'm not being honest with myself, I will share truth with another human, whether it be my therapist, whether it be a friend, whatever I can do. Because 
we all have moments of disconnect. But telling the truth in my work and in my life has been a non-negotiable for me. And obviously you must have had great rewards with the impact sharing those things had on other people if you decided to build an entire career out of it. Well, yeah, very early on, I started to notice the impact it was having, not just on audience members, because I did start speaking publicly very early at about 25 and a half. I started speaking publicly, but also to the women I sponsored. You know, I sponsored eight women at one time in my 12-step program. And the ability to hold space for people in their transformation that early on in my own recovery was the greatest gift I could have been given. And so seeing the transformation in others also, you know, you put yourself out there, you tell a lot of truth, you share a lot of vulnerability, you take on the responsibility of being a teacher for others. And so you have to walk your talk. And there's plenty of people in my field that don't, and they're dealing with their own stuff and God bless them. But it's my responsibility to walk my talk. Does that mean I don't fuck up? No. Does it mean that I acknowledge my fuck ups and I turn them around quickly? Yes. This is a perfect opportunity to then explore the question of, all right, so we apply these bits of wisdom, these practices in our daily lives, and we see the results and we achieve great deals of success and all the things that we ever imagined we wanted. And we find ourselves suffering from new levels of imposter syndrome, or maybe feeling as though the beast requires feeding more and more often at a faster and faster cadence. And it actually isn't necessarily the perfect point of arrival that we once imagined it to be when we had it on our vision board or whatever method someone used. So How do you navigate those moments where perhaps the entirety of your external world looks very accomplished and very much fulfilled in the ways that you'd always dreamed, but you're still coming up against some of those internal things? How does the work that you do or even the space of something like manifesting translate to those internal struggles? Well, I have two therapy sessions a week. (laughs) (laughs) That helps. Uh Yeah, Yeah. that's the truth. I mean, when I say that, what I mean is I do my own work. Of course. Because... It doesn't matter what's happening outside of your life and all the accomplishments, that's never going to fill you up. Mm -hmm. You have to be good on the inside. And so the work I've put into my own well-being has been the greatest work of my life. Well, I actually remember a really interesting comment that you had made when you were speaking with your buddy Lewis House on one of his episodes. You had mentioned that you only started feeling safe in the past year, year and a half, I guess, at this point. What does that mean? Well, as someone who is a survivor of childhood trauma, and Mm -hmm. I think all of us have a lot of events in our life that we are all surviving from, my nervous system was completely shocked and I was frozen in time for 30 years with a dissociated memory. But my body remembered and my viscera remembered. And so my nervous system was consistently in a state of hypervigilance and fear and trauma response, but mentally I didn't know why. And so... That was quite unsettling for the majority of my life. And upon remembering that trauma, and I write about this in my book, Happy Days, mm-hmm. upon remembering that trauma, I started to get really serious about how I was caring for my nervous system. And I started practicing profound trauma healing therapies like EMDR, somatic experiencing, internal family systems therapy. And in the journey of undoing my trauma, I started to feel more free in my body and my mind and returned my my nervous system back to safety. And so that's why that safety is only recently set in. And how have you seen that 
manifest in your life or just even the way you experience your day to day and move through the world since you've achieved that sense of safety? Well, I can experience the present moment. I can Mm -hmm. be really having that somatic experience of presence and that felt sense of presence. I can just focus more. I can see my part in things. I can be more creative. I can feel my body. I can feel the energy in my body. I can feel even more sensual and even just not like sexual from the standpoint of like putting out sexual vibes, but more like in my own sexuality. And for many years, I think that being so shut off and so denied of that physical and mental connection, I was like, just literally shut down, like numb, truly numb and thawing out, which is a big term that's used often in trauma recovery, you know, getting unstuck and releasing what's frozen is a real common result. And I'm so happy I can live to what that means and truly experience feelings. That's a very deep rooted transformational experience. And I think it's also touching upon something that a lot of people don't necessarily realize, which is that so often we move through the world very much from our minds and this kind of behind the door through the people approach to things, which obviously mitigates future threats or anything that we might want to avoid re-experiencing from years prior. But it's not always an easy task to figure out how to drop into your body and have that type of presence you're explaining where you suddenly have a more expansive awareness of reality or an ability to engage with other people in a more wholehearted way rather than putting them in whatever bucket that you automatically associate them with for whatever reason. So if you were to put actionable steps or share any degree of advice on how to have that experience on the day-to-day where we can live more from our bodies and with that expansive perspective, obviously you've mentioned certain techniques that have worked for you. Well, I think there's two answers. There's an answer Mm -hmm. for people with complex trauma, and then there's an answer for people who have just lived life. Because if it's an individual like myself who experienced complex trauma, it's a lot of ice to unfreeze, right? So it's Uh a lot of melting that has to happen, and it's a gentle process. And sometimes if you give suggestions like go dance or get into your body, saying that to someone who's traumatized is like saying, fuck you, you know? I don't know how to get into my body like that. That feels so unattainable. And in many ways, it just creates more of a shame spiral. So for that person who experienced traumatic events, particularly sexual in nature or anything that was physical in nature, I would recommend reading my book, Happy Days, because that will take them on the journey of undoing trauma so that they can come back to that freedom in their body and their mind. And that's because it does take work. If it's someone who's just sort of feeling disconnected because they're just not centered or they're just anxious or they're living life. Some things you can do are some of these somatic practices, putting your hand on your heart and your hand on your belly and deep breath. A head hold is really great for safety, your hand on your forehead and your hand on your heart. Another one would be just getting into a superwoman or superman pose. Being in that power pose can really send a message to your body and your brain that there's power there. For me, for many years, I practiced S-factor dance which is pole dancing, but it's really about dancing with that erotic creature, as they call it. But I would call it more the life force within us. And even in the frozen times, there was glimpses of that life force. And so that was part of my journey of healing. So finding movement practices as well. And you've mentioned meditation being a huge thing in the past. Obviously, that's another very commonly talked about practice in the lives of people who have found their happiness, found their success, optimized their peak performance, whatever the buzzword might be. But what's your relationship to meditation today? I meditate every day. 
Uh-huh. And I use my meditation. As you can hear, I'm not feeling 100%. So today I lay down for my meditation and I did almost like a healing on myself for it to visualize my chest opening up and my cough releasing and just visualization, really. But mainly my meditation practice is transcendental meditation, which is a mantra-based meditation that you practice twice a day for 20 minutes. And it's really just the most soothing practice for calming my nervous system and just immediately centering and releasing the stories in my head. I love that. I actually took TM in, I think, 2012 and very much enjoyed it. And just the general having some type of, I suppose, what is a mantra translated as? A mind vehicle? It's like a single pointed focus. <laughs> Something for the active mind to latch onto while you drop in, I suppose. Yep. And return to. Exactly. We've touched upon Happy Days, which is an incredible book that we definitely encourage everyone to read for the reasons we've discussed as far as reprogramming those filters, understanding trauma, moving beyond them to this new space of freedom and inner peace. Any wise and parting words by the legendary Gabby Bernstein? I would really just reiterate what you said originally, which is that when we do whatever it takes to change our mind about the world we see, then our experience of the world will change. And it's not that our experiences even have to change. It's that our experience of our experiences changes. So that mental shift is a miraculous shift. It really is. Thank you, Gabby. Again, I know that you're slammed and you're running around the world as we speak. And I really appreciate the time you took to speak to us today. I'm really happy we were able to do it, sweetie. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this episode of What's Contemporary Now. A special thanks to our show's producer, Cheyenne Asadi, who makes it all possible. Original theme music by Joseph Top Miller and Chase Coughlin of The Black Soft, and visual design by Aaron Marr and Graham Prentice. Subscribe now to be the first to hear new episodes, and for more content, follow us on Instagram at What's Contemporary, or visit us online at whatscontemporary.com. 